And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. Well, you know, um, speaking of network executives, <laughs> it's, it's perfect fodder for the question we're going to ask today. Uh, Aaron, what makes a good adversary? Hmm. What makes a good adversary? Yeah, what makes a good adversary? You know, I've been pondering this and pondering. I think what makes a good adversary to start is is relatable origin story. Mm. I, I think you, a good adversary, you can relate to his plight to a certain point, mm-hmm. his or her. Uh, and then after that, I think the motivations at some point get twisted by some tragedy or a traumatic event. Mm. Uh and then that's where the, their motivations become sinister, usually without them realizing it. Mm. But yeah, I think a, a good adversary is a three-dimensional character who you can sympathize with, maybe even empathize with, mm. even though you know what they're doing is is wrong on the inside. I don't know. No. So what you're saying is Mr. Freeze from Batman Great is adversary. a good adversary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tragic. <laughs> who can't relate to Mr. Freeze? <laughs> I would shed tears, Batman, if not for the icy cold of my heart. <laughs> you see my point of view? <laughs> okay. All right. A relatable backstory. Mm-hmm. That is a good answer. Um, well, yeah. Um, well, that'll bring us into um, today's episode. Episode 15 of Star Trek Stories, The Last Outpost. Um we are still early in our look at the growing pains of the next generation. Um, the last time we watched the TNG premiere at Counter at Farpoint, um, you know, after listening to our conversation, Aaron, I was I was expecting us to be really like negative on that episode. Me too. But when I listened to it, I'm like, we really aren't all that negative. I mean, like, certainly we point out like problems and criticisms mm-hmm. with the episode because it certainly has them. But it's I almost think, my. Yeah. More like we treated it like an, I don't know, like an oddity that was trying to do something yeah. interesting and novel, though. It really was almost there. I think it was a strong pilot. I really do. Yeah. Um, we'll see if, um, yeah, how we feel about uh, today's episode. Um, but before we get to that, uh, we have a new guest host and friend we have to introduce. Um, Aaron, I'm going to let you do the honors on this one. Oh, I appreciate you. Uh, today, this week, we have my wife. Cass, Cass, hello, how are you? Hi, I'm doing just fine, thanks. Yeah. I don't like microphones, so here I am. <laughs> we, I got you here, and you're sitting down, and you're talking, so I'm going to take this as a huge W. No, it's good. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've been trying to get you for a while. I'm like, Aaron, you got to bring Cass over. <laughs> oh, yeah. She loves Star Trek. I appreciate that. Um, Cass and I have watched a lot of Star Trek together. We watched DS9 together last year. Last uh, year. Was it two years ago? Uh, we weren't even married yet, so it's been no, we more than three years. We, we started were, it before we were married. We did not. Yes, we did. There's no way. Yeah. It's okay. been a while. Maybe. I, 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 I said this the other day. The pandemic has ruined all sense of All like, sense of time. time. Just Especially like the, the, the nearish past is just this jumble of, well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sometime between 2019 and now yep. <laughs> this happened. Either way. We watched it together and... Uh, it was a good bonding experience, I think. Oh yeah, for us. we we bond over the nerdy stuff. Oh yeah, we also Just a like bit. Lord of the Rings a lot too, both of us. Oh yeah, we have to do the trilogy like what every Once couple year? years. I don't think we did it last year. Not at all. No, hmm. no we're due. Um, yeah, we're talking a little bit about Star Trek 
before we started. You said Voyager was your first one? Uh, Voyager was the first one I watched all the way through, yes. But I grew up with Star Trek kind of around me. Um, Actually, my very first memories of Star Trek ever were the Christmas ornaments from Hallmark. Mm. Um, They started in 1991, I want to say. And my dad started collecting them in 1992. Um, So we have all of them. And a huge tradition for me and him was to put all of them on the Christmas tree. So I grew up around those. Um, I think the 1992 ornament was the shuttlecraft Mm. um, with Spock saying, happy holidays, live long and prosper. (laughs) And that is, that's always been my favorite one. And it was the first one that we ever had. Um, And now we have so many, how many, a full tree, (laughs) 30, 31. Yeah. Um, And our tree topper is the enterprise Mm. and it's amazing. And now all the ornaments like talk to each other, um, there's characters, and it's a whole, like, production on our Christmas tree. Wow, like a um, multimedia display. There's yeah, a, it's, it's a fleet of ships. Dark Dark the years. <laughs> we have to continuously get bigger Christmas trees to accommodate all of the ornaments. But your dad's, like, the, was the Trekkie in the house. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and he married a Trekkie after uh, he and my mom split. His uh, second wife, my stepmom, um, is a huge nerd, too. And she came with a dog whose name was Dax. Mm. Um, after Judzia, and then after that we had seven, uh, and then their current dog is Q. All Roddies. All Roddies. <laughs> and then I started getting dogs, and my first dog was Kobayashi Maru, um, and we call her Koba. And then uh, we got Dabo a couple years ago. Uh, so continuing on with the Star Trek. Who lives up to his name? The correct way to pronounce his name is Dabo. <laughs> and it's spelled it's spelled with an exclamation point. So that is the correct pronunciation <laughs> of his name. Um. Um. Yeah, we had a uh, Kelsey on the podcast a little bit ago talking about Star Wars. Um, you two are good friends. You do. Um, flight attending together, yes? Yes, we do. Uh, Kelsey was actually a new hire flight attendant about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and I was her mentor. Um, And the first day I met her, she had a meltdown, um, which was a bonding experience for us. We trauma bonded a little bit. Um, And here we are, like a year and a half later, and we're we're very good friends. Um, She's a good person to have around, hysterical. It makes me laugh every time I see her, so... Yeah, I like having her in my circle of friends. Uh, she was she was a riot. She was perfect for Star Wars. <laughs> um, what's it like? I never like thought about like this, but like I've done a lot of training in my own field, and then like I just never thought about what like what like training would be like for like flight attendants. Like, what is it like to kind of like I don't know? You're not you don't do exactly training, or do you do training? <laughs> I don't. Um, I am in onboarding. So uh, by the time they come to me, they've already been uh, vetted and trained uh, Mm -hmm. in theory. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just kind of help them get settled uh, once Mm. they get to their base and the actual day-to-day of the job. Mm. How long have you been doing that? Uh, That specific job, about a year and a half. Um, But I'm coming up on eight years as a flight attendant. Wow. Have you had any like big like, oh my God, moments with you know, like the big blow up all over social media. 
this person was doing this. <laughs> so there's painting this picture that like flying right now is basically like this dystopian nightmare. I'm like, it does that. Is that? Do you see that like on a day to day basis, or how often do you see something like that? It's not as common as social media would would have you think. And and I work for Delta, so um, I do not work for Spirit, which is uh, kind of where things like that tend to happen. Half of those stories. Oh, got it. Spirit it's one or, airline. I don't know. Southwest Spirit, American. Frontier. <clears throat> not, not, not generally on Delta. Um, so I personally haven't had any experiences like that, um, which is very fortunate because I don't want to have to have a smackdown with anybody because we have like two feet of space to move, which is not great for having to defend yourself. No. No. Um, then I can't help but wonder though, if in uh, being a flight attendant, having to deal with, um, you know, disgruntled patrons, um, in your opinion, what makes a good adversary? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was actually listening to Aaron's answer before, and I'm kind of on the opposite side where, um, a good adversary to me is someone who is a challenge, who maybe thinks or approaches things in a way that makes you think differently um like how you would approach a problem you'd have to think about it in a completely different way um, because you don't understand their way of thinking or of being um and it kind of challenges a character a person to grow um in their character and morally um i i feel like that makes for an interesting story between Mm. the two yeah, I like both of those answers. Um, um, I almost feel like the the most ideal answer is like a, a mixture of the two where it's like, yeah, it is like this kind of like challenge, especially if it's a good thematic, you know, you know, at the risk of going back into Batman. But Batman has such good villains. <laughs> That's why everyone loves Batman. You know, it's like in Joker, say, just such a good foil because he just represents such a thematic just everything this character stands for just is the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you do get like, but then like the characters who really shine, it's like do that, but also can be people and not just like a monolith, yeah. you know? Um, I, like, I like both those answers. Batman faces both, I think. You get the Mr. Freezes and the Jokers. That's true. Yeah. The ones that are just evil through and through. And the ones where it's like, oh man, Spider-Man, I feel like all of his rogues are, you can sympathize with. Yeah, know how these tragic origin stories like Doc Ock and and Rhino and yeah, half of them feel like <laughs> this is only genuinely like Spider Man and Spider Man villains. I'm like, have you guys noticed that half of the Spider Man villains feel like some poor person who just got trapped in a suit somehow? Really? <laughs> Venom, <laughs> Doc Ock, Vulture, uh, all Harry people. Osborn. Oh no, Scorpion! They're all just people who are like I'm in a suit now. I can't get no. out. Oh, what a tragic accident! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm never going to watch another Spider-Man the same way. No. <laughs> what, what suit are you getting trapped in today? <laughs> they usually know Peter in some way, too. Like, have a yeah. personal relationship with him. Yep. So he has to deal with that. God, that's oh, that's always so funny to me. It's like, it's some person in some close orbit of Peter Parker. <laughs> and then for how long do they go? It's like, oh, yeah, there's all this crazy stuff. Good thing we're best friends. And then, like, three quarters of the way through, wait. You've been Spider-Man slash Green Goblin all <laughs> along every Spider-Man movie. Uh, it sounds like Spider-Man needs to be locked in like solitary or something so that you can't create any <laughs> <Yeah>. more villains. <laughs> Meanwhile, Peter this. Parker. <laughs> it's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> 
Can we like redub that over the Spider-Man three emo dance, <laughs> but put it with that Taylor Swift song? <laughs> Um, well, shall we look at how Star Trek The Next Generation um, does with introducing its first recurring adversary? <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> um, yes, we are watching The Last Outpost. Um, this aired October 19th, 1987. This is the seventh episode produced for the first season, even though it ended up being aired fourth. This is the first appearance of the Ferengi in Star Trek. Um, Gene Ronberry and company, like, they quickly knew that, like, the new series would need a new recurring adversary. Like, they couldn't just bank on, like, can't just it can't just be the Klingons and the Romulans again. Like, you got to do something new. So, and especially since now in this show, the Klingons aren't really, like, the bad guys anymore. So it's like, certainly for them, we need a replacement. Um, and this is what they came up with, the Ferengi. <laughs> um, so the big question will be um, how well they do introducing and conceptualizing the Ferengi and how they compare to other adversaries. <laughs> um, for those of you at home who are watching along, this is your invitation to watch. Star Trek The Next Generation is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can find it by bringing up Season 1, Episode 5. And we will be back after we have our first look at the Ferengi. The truth is, I gave those words to this human. What of them? Shall I destroy them? Then they would learn nothing. A most interesting conclusion. But what if they never learn, Riker? Is this a test also? In life, one is always tested. I see them much as we were several hundred years ago. But possessing the technology they now have, they're very dangerous. Untrue! We seek friendship with you! But we can hardly hate what we once were. They may grow and learn. And learn ways to destroy you. Well, our values require us to face that possibility.
Yeah, speaking of great anniversary dates, Star Trek stories. Let's um, <laughs> jump on in. And this episode we just watched, The Last Outpost. Uh, initial thoughts? Um, Cass? <laughs> what are we thinking about The Last Outpost? Um, I personally love the Ferengi, but this was not my first exposure to them. Um, I was first exposed to them in uh, DS9 and... In that series, they are super goofy, um, and they're kind of the comic relief. So it's kind of hard to see them as anything else. Um, I can kind of see how they were trying to set them up as an adversary. Um, But just their stature and the way that they move and the way that they talk, it's really hard to take them seriously um, about anything. And then knowing them from... DS9 is just like, haha, that's cute. You're adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially if you have seen them in the future. Because <laughs> this episode is trying to take them really serious. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, even if you didn't know that, <laughs> right? how can you take these guys <laughs> any kind of seriously? They're trying. Really trying. Uh, yeah, so hard fail on setting them up as like a big bad yeah not even close <laughs> you didn't feel threatened or frightened by them at all it was just like what are th- like no. the, the Klingons are, and the Romulans are kind of like their their presence is like scary <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. they have a very big presence and and you can see them as an adversary and then then comes the little Ferengi and they're they're small in stature and they've got these big goofy ears and right. it's like oh sweetie these are like the level one band of trolls that you find in your D campaign like <laughs> yeah, right guess. outside of the village right the little like you know trolls living in a cave oh nearby gosh. and like who are just kind of robbing the village at night <laughs> that's who these guys are. <laughs> yeah, i wrote it down as like not the move to set the capitalist race up as the big bad in the late 80s yeah like, <laughs> when it was all about coke and money and yeah <laughs> I think the idea of what the Ferengi are, what they were trying to go for, I'm like, I could see why you would go this way. But like, I think the like the whole idea of the Ferengi came from, um, it was Gene Roddenberry and um, it was co-producer writer Herbert J. Wright. Like, they kind of fleshed him out to begin with. And, and Herbert Wright was like, okay, we're okay. So we had the Klingons back in the old show. And if you watch the old 60s show, the Klingons are definitely different. And they're much more of a stand-in for, like, if not the Soviet Union, just kind of like Eurasian communism. Communism. Kind of a fascism kind of a thing. Um, And so he was in, so like, well, okay, if we're doing, if we did the, the Soviets, so now let's do the other big you know belligerent in the cold war which is the united states let's like let's do a a, a race that's kind of inspired off of like let's make this hyper capitalistic society you know and we'll make that the bad guy i'm like especially in 1980s landscape i feel like that's that's a great idea Mm -hmm. you know and just have this villain and race that's like here's everything wrong with capitalism and that's the bad guy and then what they end up doing are these weird little grubby money trolls. <laughs> and it's the most, like, how, how are you supposed to take any of any of that seriously? It's like, this isn't really what the horrors of capitalism looks like. This is just, like you say, 
D and D level one monsters. Right. <laughs> that's that's how they decided to envision them, though. Swing and a miss, good buddy. Oh man. Um, so I like the idea, but like, it's, yeah, you're right. It's and I think a lot of people said when it came out, this is a disaster of like a rollout. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Swing and a miss. Um, um, it, but you know, so is there? They eventually kind of repurpose them down, you know, into something else. Mm-hmm. Um, is is there anything that works about them in this episode? Are they just a? Is there nothing redeeming or interesting about them? I mean, I I appreciate the. They kind of took it to the next little level with their aesthetic. Rather than just forehead ridges, they really did it like a whole different shape to their skull and and facial structure and stuff that's cool um the ideas with their ship and the technology that they had that they were they matched the enterprise but in different ways that is a really good concept that they could have taken a lot further um so like the electromagnetism like weapon they used at the beginning Mm -hmm. or whatever it's like okay the fact that they got they hacked into the enterprise systems they got all their data they probably could have like turned the ship off if they really wanted to or was that portal I think I think that that w- most of it was portal. Okay. There was like the l- tiny little seconds of conflict between the beginning. They thought it was the Ferengi, but, but they it thought was it was the Ferengi. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, that's also a weird decision. It's like we're gonna set up the new big bad, except that it, they create this scenario where both of them get trapped by mm-hmm. this bigger bad. Right. So it almost undercuts them. You know, it's like they don't the Ferengi don't end it really end up being much of anything in this. It's yeah. like portal on the planet. That's everything. Yeah. So. Honestly, like going into this, I didn't really see the Ferengi as like the adversary of the episode. They were just kind of there. Mm-hmm. And the conflict was with portal. Mm-hmm. Like, and the Ferengi just were another obstacle in the way that were kind of also against this portal entity. And, it wasn't like the Ferengi against the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't even, like the first time I watched this episode ever, it didn't really even cross my mind that they were even an adversary. So, yeah, like some, yeah, okay, these are the bad guys. They just feel like they're there. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to keep in mind. You know, like, these are supposed to be the Klingons. These are supposed to be the Romulans <laughs> of next generation, right? They're supposed to be like, oh, we're going to take them on the rest of the series. No, not even close. Yeah, and they, they, that's what they kind of hyped hyped it up at the beginning like okay the, here here come the new bad guys and it's like and for a second you get this kind of drawn out and it's like wow they've turned off for weapons they've done this it's like who are these guys they try to build them up as this huge threat and then man it it's it's amazing how much it falls apart though first off as soon as you see them i think on the view screen you're like like even though <laughs> makeup is much more ambitious it's instantly also just like they're blocking their body language, like the characterizations and them like moving around like chimps. Almost. <laughs> um, what are those? Says Riker. <laughs> I think they got directed to jump up and down like crazed gerbils. So <laughs> some of this is, is the director's fault. <laughs> Why would you have them do that? <laughs> right. Moving as like a trifecta at all times. One's yeah. always like bobbing in the background. What are you trying to get a better view of? 
jumping on a boat a rock, looking down, and then coming back down, and then now looking. <laughs> While people are just having conversations, they're just <laughs> just around them. <laughs> Goodness. Um, you know, you know, we talked about in the last episode, it's like there's definitely an attempt to get away from the 60s show. You can see it. Mm-hmm. But you watch this, you're like, this one especially – this one has some of that 1960s TOS camp kitsch all over it. Like the planet set they're on. <laughs> you know, it's fun and atmospheric, but it's like it's clearly a set. How the Ferengi, it's like you can tell it's like, hey, here's how we're. It's, it's very theatrical. You can tell it's like these three stage actors who are trying to block it out. It's like, <laughs> yes. You kind of miss Shatner's reaction to it all. Like he did a good job of being ridiculous, but also recognizing the ridiculousness of the situation. Like. Mr. Spock, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> My God. Yeah, just totally buying into it over the top. Um, yeah, this this episode certainly has a lot of that 60s camp kitsch, but it feels like you guys should know better by now. <laughs> as writers, as storytellers, you should know better. Uh, something I found intriguing um, with the Ferengi was kind of the glimpse into their culture. Um, which they don't really go into, but like if you're listening, you can catch some of it. Um, like how I think they mentioned a couple times, you force your women to wear clothing, and with no other knowledge of the Ferengi, that is kind of an odd comment and kind of makes me want to know more about them. Because I'm like, what what does that mean? Force your women to wear clothing, and <laughs> they're just totally weirded out by like having a female um, with the the landing crew and and having her armed and having her clothed. Um, so I, I found that kind of interesting um, for those who who don't really know much else about the Ferengi. Um, I feel like that could be kind of intriguing. It, it makes me want to know more about the characters, um, even though they're a little goofy. It is an, it's a very specific thing to bring up. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting. It's like, they're hyper capitalist, but then they also they go out of their way on several occasions to talk about it. it this, it's this very misogynist perspective mm-hmm. as well, and they tie that hand in hand with capitalism. So it's it's not just capitalism; it's also this kind of like male male heavy uh, like patriarchy capitalism mm-hmm. thing. They're kind of referencing. Yeah, you heard it, Captain. They're insane. <laughs> They think of all the pro- opportunities for profit they've thrown away. <laughs> Forcing their females to wear clothing, inviting others to take them off the very depth of perversion. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like there's a way you could play some of that off and have it be like horrifying and like, oh my God, this is terrifying. Like these hyper capitalists who just live in this like, this this Dubro society where it's just about making as much money you, as you can and then like I don't, enslaving women that's mm-hmm. their civilization it's like that you could make that really like oh my god yeah, yeah fuck these guys yeah absolutely less like merchants more like pirates maybe mm. like the buyer beware but taken to more of the extreme yeah yeah here it's just it's none of it sticks you're like oh, like okay capitalism but like you're monsters like nothing of like they they spend like a good chunk of the episode talking about like 
yeah, they're supposed to be like Yankee traders, and they're supposed to be like this, and that. But that doesn't line up at all with what you see these guys like these little monsters with laser whips yeah. <laughs> hissing it and this episode could have probably done with maybe coming out a few years later because black monday i think had yet to happen one of the worst mm. stock market crashes since the great depression i think that was 89 uh so i think they maybe would have had a much different perspective on on capitalism and had something to say about it had they waited mm. i don't know yeah, it's not, it's not very thematically resonant. That also feels like a big failure. It's like if you had said this episode is about like the dangers of capitalism, like, are you high? That's not <laughs> what this episode was about at all in the slightest. No, it's about uh, Chinese finger traps. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow we tie that back. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, whatever Data's finger trap is made out of, that's what I want. And it's funny that, that we see him up. get stuck in that and then see him holding up a Ferengi with one hand and telling Riker <laughs> that they're stronger than they appear. I'm trapped, sir. But you got trapped by a Chinese finger trap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that uh, it's almost baffling. It's not not almost. It is baffling that those Chinese finger traps are in the episode. <laughs> and like they don't just use them once. That, they like, times. That's how they end. That's the note they end the episode on. Everyone, for some reason now has the finger traps. <laughs> Riker's got them. Jordy's got it. And like, doesn't know how to do it, even though he was just laughing at data for not, it makes, <laughs> this is the note you go out on, huh? Uh-huh. Mm. We might be the last generation who even knows what a Chinese finger trap is. I don't, I don't know if Gen Z knows what a Chinese finger trap that is. That might not even be PC anymore, bro. <laughs> Chinese finger it trap? It probably isn't. I don't think that's PC, bro. I think it's East Asian. We're gonna get canceled. Fi- finger trap. <laughs> East Asian inspired finger trap. Okay. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Even even if the Ferengi weren't so silly, the fact that they put stuff in there just contributes to the silliness. Mm-hmm. When it's like they're trying really hard to take it seriously, it's like these guys are a real threat, and they're having meetings about how do we handle the situation while Data's got a finger trap. <laughs> like, so even even if the Ferengi were good, it's like why are you putting this in there? Conflict evaluation. Data's just got the finger trap. We're, we're assessing our battle capabilities, Mr. Data. <laughs> I'm trapped, sir. All nonchalant. He's at a two. Everybody else is at like seven or eight. <laughs> Could you imagine like watching like Balance of Terror? And there's a couple of scenes, you know, like, okay, the Romulans, it's the first time we've ever encountered them. And it's super intense. And there's r- racism against Spock on the bridge. And But while they're having a briefing, just Scotty's got his f- <laughs> fingers in it. <laughs> Scotty, what the hell do you have that? It's a Chinese finger trap. I, I don't know how to get my finger out. By the end of the episode, the Romulans have one on their ship. Let's beam them all over. <laughs> Everyone has a little good chuckle at the end, like, oh, my God. It instantly destroys the episode. I think perhaps, Captain, we could have been friends. In a, in a, had we, I can't get my... How does, this is so fascinating. How do you get your fingers out of this? In another universe, I could have called you... I could have called. I could have called you. <laughs> how, do, how do you get these? <laughs> oh, it's such a baffling decision. Like again, even if the Ferengi where were a hundred percent worked, the fact that they're throwing shit like that in there just destroys any tension the episode is supposed to like, have. Like who made that decision? <laughs> <laughs> and also the Ferengi ship, like 
who decided that was the front? That was always baffling to me. Even as a kid, I had those little mini of the Ferengi ship and I thought the back was the front. It just, it looks like it should travel with the fat end going forwards and the tiny end going. It's got a big ass. It does. (laughs) It's got a big old booty. You know, um, fun fact about the Ferengi ship and I guess just the Ferengi in general. So that first off the Ferengi ship, the neck was supposed to like elongate. Mm. And so you're supposed to see like the ship kind of grow when it wanted to go into battle mode or whatever. You don't ever really kind of see that. I think you kind of maybe see it for a second, but but it was part of this thematic thing where Gene Ronberry, Gene Ronberry, he really wanted to go along with like the um the with the, with the misogynist angle. He wanted to really show that the Ferengi were had these had voracious sexual appetites. Okay. And he wanted the Ferengi to have giant cod pieces as part of their costume, like giant cod pieces. So the ship is a giant. And and so then the ship itself, <laughs> it was supposed to erect like <laughs> this kind of phallic when it goes into its battle. <laughs> nice. He just really wanted to play up this idea of like they were obsessed with sexual prowess. Imagine being in that pitch room. Like listening to him talk about the Ferengi. <laughs> well, like, yeah, so there's a story. So like Herb Wright and Gene Reinberg, the two guys who are working on it, like Herb Wright really developed all the capitalist stuff. And it was really Gene who wanted to do all like the, the sexual stuff. That's what he liked. <laughs> um, very Gene Roddenberry. That's what you're bringing to the table, Gene. Um, and I guess there's a story where like Herb Wright describes Gene Roddenberry like when he was talking about the cod pieces, he went on like he's for 20 minutes went on this rant about all the different sexual positions the Ferengi could get into. And eventually Herb was like, Gene, it's a family <laughs> show on 7 p.m. on Saturday. Oh yeah, we can't do that. We can't, we can't do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> could you imagine? What a trip. Right. It was just supposed to be this hypersexualized thing as well. Can you imagine the Ferengi just walk around with these just big old bulges the entire time? I don't know if that would have helped the uh, us taking it them seriously. <laughs> no, certainly not. How? Oh. Gene Roddenberry, the guy who created Star Trek, certainly has some interesting ideas about Star Trek. And somehow it's all tied back to the art of war. <laughs> it's all soon soon. Like it's it's all gonna tie in, and it'll be so smart. I can see it, <laughs> and it's real. <laughs> You know, one of the things I noticed about watching this episode, um, I guess getting away from the Ferengi a little bit, is also um, at the end when, like, portals... Once again, in the last episode, they had to prove humanity to some higher being. That... We definitely get a much toned-down version of it, but it happens again in this episode. <laughs> um, and And what saves them is, like, Riker quoting soon like enlightened Sun Tzu philosophy of sometimes it's about knowing when not to fight rather than when to fight, and it, he Gene Roddenberry how they posit the crew in these early episodes they are all like paragons of virtue mm-hmm. they are like flawless don't have a lot of character but it's like they are just like he's just showing like. Humanity is basically he's using them to say, like, here's everything that's virtuous and good. And like then the Ferengi are supposed to represent what's bad. And it's such an interesting, weird 
rather than any kind of philosophical conflict coming from in between the main characters, it's just all of them standing united is like, we are so awesome. <laughs> and the, and it's the other aliens that are like, here's what's wrong about everything. And it's such a fascinatingly weird. It's just using humans as just perfect mouthpiece for what's awesome and amazing. And mm-hmm. <laughs> such a strange way to talk about ideas. It takes them a while to get away from this, but like, there's no conflict really between the characters. Mm-hmm. It's this, it's them always just talking about what to do, but there's no real tension between any of them. Yeah, even between the old show, like Kirk and Spock would kind of be like, there would be a little bit of, or with Scotty or McCoy, there was always like some amount of tension between them. There, there's no tension here between any of them. What really? is all the tension that Deanna's feeling then? That's just not on the bridge. It's everywhere else. Even nothing between. That's like the easiest one. Riker and Deanna (laughs) tension. Right. Nothing. Nothing. Also, can we comment on her outfit? Um, Oh, the gray jumpsuit. So in the last episode, we saw her in like her scant. She kind of had a space cheerleader look. Yeah. In that first episode. (laughs) Now she's got this (laughs) off plum. I I call it tactical Deanna. (laughs) She looks like battle mode Deanna Troy. The There's updo. still no pockets. No, yeah, makeup still is no different. pockets. It's still a onesie. Yeah. yeah. But it's kind of got like a lavender belt sash. Yeah. <laughs> and then her hair just all done up in that like cone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what a look. What a look. They, why can't they just put her in a uniform? They just got to come up with the whatever the hell this is out for, for her. It has to show off her figure. That's what it is. It's, it's, yeah, so gross. But she's the eye candy of the show. She like, really is. Yeah. But not even that good. It's like, uh, yeah, honestly. <laughs> like, if you're going to do it, I mean, it's, it's a dumb idea, but like, that's what you go with? Like, mm-hmm. are, is, is anyone turned on <laughs> looking at She looks ridiculous. <laughs> Fascinating. Mm hmm. Was this hot in the 80s? I guess. I, I submit not. Even back then, <laughs> this was not hot. Um, well, you know, I, I always like the... Uh, the. It's too bad we only get a little bit of it, but the Takan Empire seems a whole lot more interesting than the Ferengi do in this episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there was this ancient civilization that could move around stars, and some members don't know the Empire's gone. I'm like... Yeah, that's way more interesting. Way cool. And then he goes back into his Odin sleep, and do we ever see him again? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But no, the Ferengi. That's you've been asleep for one hundred thousand years. No, <laughs> <laughs> that can't be. Um. Oh my God, that shot where he's like doing like the. <laughs> it just comes right up to Riker's face with like the axe or whatever, and Riker's <laughs> just sitting there, just like. I'm so cool. <laughs> you could almost see like the Mass Effect triggers for the Renegade option for Riker to attack, and then oh. he chooses to stay still. Quick time event. Mm-hmm. Do you hit the good one or the bad one? Oh, this could decide. Stun him or totally different ending happens if you choose to attack. That's crazy. <laughs> um, I I like the idea of them like that, but again, they don't do anything with them either. It's just kind of a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Very TOSy again. Some ancient society that finds these two. You are barbaric. We will destroy you. 
Ah, you show potential humanity. Perhaps in a thousand years we can become friends. Until uh, then. Kind of a th- but until then, kind of a thing. Um, I also noted, back in the early days, they really designed the show to be, there's like two leads. And if you look at the credits, it says starring Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes and everyone else is co-starring. And there is, especially in these early episodes, there is this kind of dual lead, dual lead thing where it's like the first half of this episode, like they're up on the ship and Picard is definitely like the lead of the show. Mm-hmm. But then Riker's always the one who goes down on the away missions and then he becomes like now the the main lead and focus of the episode. The whole back half is like Riker and how he's going to deal with Portal on the planet. And the whole first half is Picard dealing with like the Ferengi. It's kind of an interesting structure how they... They they split it between totally. the two. Riker always gets the on the planet stuff, and Picard always gets the on the ship stuff. Which like yeah, from like a, I guess if you are gonna send somebody from the bridge down, it makes more sense send the XO down than the captain every time. Yeah, I think yeah. there's one episode later where Picard goes down, and at the end of the episode, he he tells Riker that he can keep those away missions because something happens, and uh, he decides he doesn't want to do them anymore, which is understandable because. <laughs> Riker gets to deal with all of this this stuff down on the planet. Yeah. That that reminded me. They're really trying to set up Data and Riker as like buds. Yeah, you do. You, yeah, I don't know what you call it. Like a little bit of like bromance, flirty energy between Riker and Data in these early episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely feels like they're all still trying to find their characters. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, they all feel pretty stock at this point. Like, again, like, Jordy's big contribution at the end was like, Commander, I can see this, and I can see this. It's just the fact that he's got the visor or whatever, you know, and he all of Worf's lines scene, are like, yeah. I want to do the fighting! Uh, no, gonna, stand I'm down, Mr. Worf. Uncle who? Um, Uncle who? <laughs> do you know who's all still kind of pretty thinly drawn as Yar? Both episodes, I feel like they have not done much with her. Mm-mm. Not at this point. She did seem more put together this episode. Oh, yeah. She's the one who comes and saves all of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fully clothed and everything. Fully wow. clothed. <laughs> How perverse. Actually brought a phaser. You guys <laughs> didn't Why know one else bring, bring, a, bring phaser? a phaser. Honestly. <laughs> um, Crusher doesn't get a lot to, to do either in mm-hmm. this one. No, he's, yeah. Didn't she see her in the back room once or twice? Didn't really make it into the episode. No. That happens. You know, characters will just take a break some episodes. Troy mostly just comments on things. It's gotten so cold, Captain. Really? Like, he couldn't feel that it was also <laughs> cold. Thanks. Thanks, Deanna. What do you make of the Ferengi? I can't be sure, Captain, but I think they're hiding something. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Troy. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. Pat her on the head like a puppy. Uh, Data is... Oh, <sighs> Data almost comes across like an idiot, almost like the class clown. Like he's making little whisper comments to Jordy. Like throughout that whole scene where Picard's trying to negotiate with the Ferengi, mm-hmm. Data's kind of like, "Well, at least this and this and this." Like he's <laughs> having his little whisper jokes with Jordy in the background. Right. Brings the Chinese finger puzzle to the meeting. It's like Data, get it, get it together. <laughs> When like Riker is like fighting the Ferengi and 
goes down, like Data just has that like look of disapproval. <laughs> While he's holding in Ferengi in the air, who's struggling in the background, he's like, "Oh, Riker, you whoop, you pansy." Yeah, he's like the comic relief character. You like the class clown. Yeah, it's such a <laughs> strange, strange uh, character conception. Yeah, lots well, of room for character development for sure. The only one who kind of really has any feel like definition is like Picard. Still feels by far and away the strongest part of the show. Yeah, yeah. A lot of that is just his work too. He commits. Mm-hmm. He fucking commits to the bit for how silly the episode is like any kind of sense of like actually grounding it and being serious. It's all him. Yeah. I guess there was a lot, there was a lot of pressure in the early days mm. cause like they had a lot to live up to. And I think they all said like the shadow of the original show at this point, it, they cast a long shadow and everyone could feel it. Like we've got to be as good as them, oh, you yeah, know? Absolutely. And, such a legendary show and they're like oh come on come on and he is he especially i'm like no no it can't be a silly show damn it this is my shot <laughs> you're ruining it for everyone <laughs> um well do we have any final thoughts on the last outpost any parting words of wisdom? Do the Ferengi make a good adversary? Eventually. Eventually. Yeah, eventually. Not in this episode, for sure. No. If an alien ever tests your resolve, don't flinch. That's the answer. <laughs> you got to have like your mid-grade villains, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it can't be the Joker every time. Right. You know, it's... Every once in a while, you got to get Penny Plunderer in there. <laughs> Sometimes it's the Music Meister. <laughs> music Meister. Kite Man. <laughs> um, Cass, any final thoughts? Uh, well, we learned uh, that they show hypoxia correctly in oh, the yeah. Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> we did learn Y'all that. Y'all were just like, oh, yeah, everybody's just kind of like sleeping, waiting for things to happen. I'm like, no, that's actually how it happens when you don't have enough oxygen. <laughs> Yeah, how we learned that there's a, this moment everybody on the ship is kind of lethargic and leaning on their consoles and flight attendant Cass enlightened us. That was awesome. Yes, like, oh, this is action. what happens on airplanes when there's a, a slow decompression. Um, it's a sign of hypoxia to be lethargic and sleepy. And if you have people like that on an airplane, you're probably losing oxygen somewhere. So there you go. Fun huh. fact. There you go. <laughs> Even if you recognize that in the moment, you'd probably be too lazy to do anything about it yeah you're also losing oxygen so you might not notice like oh man that's so <laughs> i think i have now. hypoxia oh, no, i'm just gonna go sleep now <laughs> oh that's a bad way to go <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you have flight attendants to to save you from the hypoxia well, thank god and thank god we learned something on this episode today i wasn't sure like what did we learn today from <laughs> star trek uh, stories I'm full of useless knowledge. we learned about hypoxia <laughs> thanks the last outpost oh man Star Trek's always got something to teach you, <laughs> even if it's something, you know. Uh, we also learned how to get your fingers out of a Chinese finger trap. We did learn that, too. In case you didn't already know how to do that. Yeah, I knew how to do that as a kid because of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Star Trek. Everything I needed to know in life I learned from Star Trek. <laughs> finger traps, hypoxia. 
Well, all right. Um, well, thanks all. This was a lovely evening. Um, Cass, thanks for coming aboard. Yeah, thanks for having me. And hanging out with us on the USS Jaren's living room. <laughs> um, we'll definitely have to have you back and watch a more substantial episode. <laughs> I'd love to. Oh, the blurb. Are we going to do that? Oh, we we just. Oh, yes. We yes. Did a thing. Aaron, yes, please. All right. So for all of you listening out there, I started an email. It's storied Star Trek at gmail.com storied star trek at gmail.com if you have a star trek story that you would like us to read on the show please please feel free to submit it and there's a good chance that we'll we'll read it for you because yeah we're just dying for content and feedback from our listeners so yeah Mm -hmm. give us a shout send an email our way even if it's just feedback about the show or whatever would love to hear it so storied star trek at gmail.com yeah buddy hell yeah um well next time our journey into the growing pains of the next generation continues we are going to be watching the episode where no one has gone before um in our previous look at classic trek we did watch the episode where no man has gone before and now we're going to be watching where no one has gone before so we're going to be able to see how both these incarnations of the show do an episode using essentially the motto of the franchise as the episode title. That'd be, little, that'd be fun. Cool. little compare and contrast. Who did the motto better? TOS or TNG? TNG is a bit more inclusive. <laughs> it's just an instant. <laughs> in. uh, probably TNG. Yeah. <laughs> Who did it better? TNG. TNG. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, that'll be fun to see. Also, um, our good friend Scott Tuckfield is going to be coming back yeah. for an episode and talking about it with us. So, um, awesome. Well, until then, um, I guess we'll see you all out there. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share your own Star Trek story or give us a hot take on the episode we just watched, You can join the conversation by visiting our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.